the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. So, good morning. This is Christmas Eve. Tomorrow is Christmas. We celebrate Christmas as the birth of Christ. Christmas, and I actually looked this up just to make sure, but Christmas is actually never once mentioned in the Bible. It was a holiday. It was a holiday created by Christians to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It means pretty much exactly what it sounds like, Christ Mass, or the Mass of Christ. But Christmas, it's a, it's a Christian holiday, and it's a holiday where Christians celebrate the birth of Christ. However, I feel like, and I think especially in America, more and more so that Christmas and the celebration of Christmas has, has a lot departed from its original purpose. You know, a lot of, you know, it's, it's in our society now, you know, unbelievers celebrate Christmas now just as much as Christians do. You know, if you think about, you know, music and, and movies that come out now, Christ, Christmas movies, Christmas music that comes out, a lot of it's secular, and a lot of it really has nothing, if anything, to do with Jesus or with the Bible. You know, I, you think even Christians, you know, we've adopted a lot of these traditions that, you know, we're not told anything about it in the Bible, we don't see it in the Bible, or anything really to do with the celebration of Jesus' birth. Uh, a lot of things that even we've adopted, things like, you know, Christmas trees, or, or saying, you know, things that aren't inherently bad, um, but if you think about it, they really don't have a lot to do with the original purpose, the original celebration of Christmas. And so I give to you that, you know, in a lot of ways, I think the world has taken Christmas and, and created their own holiday. You even see this, like, even with the, with the name of the holiday, a lot of people have departed from using Christmas and they use, like, Xmas or, or some other name, which, you know, actually I'm going to talk about a little bit later, which I'm not sure I have a problem with that because I think a... a if, if, if you take Jesus, if you take Christ out of Christmas, then you're not really celebrating Christmas at all. So it really is, I think, a different holiday now that the world celebrates. And so today, as we read and as we look you know, uh, at the Word of God, I want us to, to examine ourselves and I want us to really take this time to focus and, and to maybe recalibrate ourselves and make sure that we are focusing on, on what I believe is, is the true celebration of Christmas, which is Jesus and, and specifically His birth. So we're here in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 20 verses. This is, this is a Christmas story, one of two major passages in the Bible where we read about the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a, a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. 
And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's open with prayer. Lord, Father God, I thank you for this opportunity we have, uh, the blessing we have, Lord, in, in this nation to freely gather and to worship. And I just pray that we would uh, learn from your word today, that you'd help me to rightly divide it, that I would honor you through this time. And I just pray that you would just be with this time, Lord. Bless us. Uh, help us to honor you in all things that I will be done. In this Jesus' sweet name I pray. Amen. So here in Luke, ver- uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, we read the Christmas account as we know it, the birth of Jesus, the shepherds, and, and the angels that come to the shepherds. And I want to look at a few things uh, that, we can, that we read about uh, in this passage. First, I want to talk about what most of us, I, I think, would say and would understand to be, uh, you know, you hear that phrase like, quote-unquote, the true meaning of Christmas, which would be the birth of Christ. And we read that uh, in the first few verses of Luke chapter 2. And, you know, Jesus, he didn't have just any ordinary birth. Jesus had a miraculous birth. It was a virgin birth. Mary conceived of the Holy Ghost and brought forth Jesus. Another passage that we might be f- familiar with uh, concerning the Christmas story is Matthew chapter 1. If you would go, go ahead and turn over to the book of Matthew chapter 1. And I just want to look at this a little bit. Look at the birth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 18. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, the, when as his mother Mary, was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. I'm going to stop there for now. So we see here in, in Matthew chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, that his mother Mary, when, he was, when she was a spouse to Joseph, so, so Mary and Joseph, I believe in, in, in biblical context, this is a spousal period. I believe they were already considered husband and wife, but hadn't yet, you know, had, had the wedding and the marriage supper, and they hadn't yet come together. But they, I believe they were considered husband and wife, and before they were come together, Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And we read here in verse 19 that Joseph, her husband, it says, being a just man, was, mi- was willing not to make her a public example, but was minded to put her away privily. And so I want to make note of this because I don't know if we always, I don't think this is something, at least something that I hadn't always thought about reading the story, but it's, it's the perspective and the position of Joseph in the story. Joseph was not, Joseph is not the father of Jesus. You know, obviously Jesus, it was a virgin birth. Mary conceived of the Holy Ghost and brought forth Jesus. And, and, but Jesus was not Joseph. And I think the Bible is very clear that Joseph was not Jesus' father. But I do believe that Joseph still had a purpose in the story, and I believe he was where he was intentionally. I believe God put him there intentionally because even though Joseph was not Jesus' real father, Joseph still, with Mary, had part in raising Jesus. And you know, we don't read a lot more about Joseph after this. We see a little bit about him when Jesus was a little older. But then, you know, for the most part of the Gospels, we really don't hear much, if anything, about Joseph. But I do believe Joseph had an important place in the story, and I believe he was, you know, a spouse to Mary. I think that was intentional. I think God intentionally had Joseph where he was in this story. And, you know, the Bible says here in verse chapter 17, sorry, in uh, verse 19, 
that Joseph was a just man. And I think in this verse here alone, verse 19, I think we see a lot about that in Joseph's character. And I think a little bit why maybe God, you know, had Joseph be the, the, the person who took part in raising Jesus and the husband of Mary. Because from Joseph's perspective, you know, before, and we'll read here in a little bit that he, he finds out eventually that the child that Mary had was of the Holy Ghost, but Joseph's perspective here at the beginning was that Mary had been unfaithful. You know, that, that would be the assumption, because aside from this one time in history, a virgin has never given birth, and so there was, you know, no other conclusion for Joseph to come to than that, than that Mary had been unfaithful. And, you know, I would imagine that for Joseph, you know, that probably would have been pretty difficult. You know, believe it or not, you know, I've never been engaged, but I would assume that, and I, I don't believe that this espousal was exactly the same as, in, as being engaged in modern context, but I think for, for, you know, illustration purposes, I think, you know, if you think about if you were engaged and, you know, your fiancé had been unfaithful, or at least I was the appearance that, you would, you know, be disappointed, you'd be angry, maybe sad, but I think we see a lot about Joseph's character in 19 and the fact that, one, it says he was a just man, the Bible says he was a just man, but also that he, he was not willing to make her a public example. Joseph, in trying to preserve Mary's dignity and honor, decided that he was going to put her away, he was going to divorce her, you know, privately, that he wasn't going to make her a public example, and I think really something that I, at least I hadn't always looked at was Joseph's place in that and maybe his perspective um, in the story. But I do believe, I do believe even though Joseph was not, you know, Jesus was the son of God, Joseph was not Jesus's real father, that he, he had a part in raising Jesus. And I think that he was um, married to Mary, uh, I think, on purpose. And I think that was intentional in God's plan. Now I want to look, uh, moving on in verses 20 through 23. So Joseph, you know, originally, his original thought that Mary had been unfaithful, but now, starting in verse 20, we read, But while he thought on these things, that is Joseph, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So an angel comes to Joseph in the night, and this angel tells Joseph that the child that, that uh, is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Ghost. The angel tells him that, she, that she's going to bring forth a son and that they are to call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But what I want to look at here is in verse 23 where it says that all this was done that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall, bring, shall be with child and bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Because I think not only was it miraculous that Jesus' birth, that it was a virgin birth, but even more so that this was prophesied actually nearly seven, possibly 700 years before it even happened. Go ahead and turn over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. What I really want to get at here is just looking at, you know, again, Jesus' birth, it wasn't just any ordinary birth. And that, that there was a lot of things, a lot of miraculous things surrounding the birth of Jesus. And here in Isaiah chapter 7, this portion of Isaiah was written about 700 years before the time of Christ. So this was a long time before, you know, 
even Mary and Joseph were, were alive, or even before they were even a thought, even before, many, many years before this happened. But here in Isaiah chapter 7, I want to look at verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall, con- shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. It's exactly what we read in Matthew chapter 1, isn't it? Exactly as, as it happened is exactly what God had prophesied through Isaiah, the prophet, 700 years before. Go ahead and turn over to the right just a little bit to Isaiah chapter 9. And while we're looking at that, I want to read a portion of Micah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Not only was it prophesied that a virgin would conceive, which is, you know, crazy enough. You know, again, this is the only time in history that a virgin uh, became with child, uh, as we read, of the Holy Ghost and brought forth a son. Not only was that prophesied, but also here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth, shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So not, here in Micah, not only, again, is it prophesying of the coming Messiah, but more so where he will come from, where he will be born. And exactly, again, as it happens, Jesus was born in Bethlehem just as it was prophesied 700 years before it happened. We're in uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I want to look at verses 6 and 7. Another passage here that a lot of times we hear during the Christmas time, this is a prophecy, again, of the coming Messiah. Starting in verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and in his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting, the, Prince, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it to, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Again, another, this, again, this portion of Isaiah is written 700 years before this even happened, before the time of Christ. And exactly as God had prophesied through the prophet Isaiah, exactly as it, was, as it was prophesied 700 years before is exactly how it happened. A virgin conceived and gave birth. It was in Bethlehem. You know, the, the promise of this coming Messiah it happened exactly as God had promised. And, you know, I think in general, I think fulfilled prophecy in the Bible may be, I think, the biggest the best way of affirming the Scripture's reliability. I mean, not even just in biblical pro- uh, prophecy and fulfillment, but just historically. I mean, how many you know, historical events the Bible correctly prophesied exactly to the point, to the very detail? Uh, it's remarkable, and, and it's a testament to the reliability of Scripture, that we can trust you know, that God's Word is true, that every one of His righteous you know, statutes will endure forever. And, 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 just, and, and again, these are just passages concerning Jesus' birth. Um, um, but just the detail and, and, and how exact it was. Because, of course, God, you know, God knew. God knew how it happened, uh, and God knew how it would go. And he prophesied it, and he, and he used his prophets uh, to prophesy it w- way before it even happened. And the last one I want to look at concerning Jesus' birth is actually what I think is, is not only the first prophecy that Jesus would come, but also I think the first prophecy of the virgin birth, and that is from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So this is in the garden. This is after Adam and Eve had taken and eaten of the fruit, and after sin had entered in the world. And this was God. He was speaking to the serpent, which was Satan. And he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And he says, Between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I not only believe that this is a, you know, God... Uh, prophesying and promising of of Jesus of the Messiah, but I think more so. I think it is also 
uh, a picture and a prophecy of the virgin birth, and I think specifically reading that it is, you know, the seed of a woman. And I think we talked about this like a week or two ago that, you know, there are a lot of genealogies in the Bible, and if you look at them, almost every single time, you know, it's like Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and it's always man to son and man to son all the way down the line. But when you get to Jesus, you know, again, like we said, Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Mary was the mother of Jesus, but Jesus was not born of any man. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so I think here in Genesis 15, when it talks about the seed of a woman, I think that's a picture that Jesus would come of the seed of a woman, that he would not have an earthly father, but that it would be a virgin birth. And again, this is Genesis chapter 3. This is at the garden, the very, very beginning of the of, of time of the world for us, uh, thousands of years before the time of Christ. And just, you know, it's just remarkable, the reliability of Scripture, the fulfilled prophecy we see time and time again in Scripture. Again, this just concerning the birth of Christ. But all this to, you know, to say that the birth of Jesus wasn't just any ordinary birth, but it was miraculous. The prophecies, you know, the virgin birth, all of it. And, and you know, we, we talked about this again, you know, a, a couple weeks ago about, you know, a lot of times, and we see this more and more so, I think, but, you know, liberal Christianity a lot of times likes to attack the virgin birth. And, you know, and, and I think it really comes a lot from the, 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 the rise of, of um, uh, human reason and, and, ration, and rationalism and a lot of this idea that miraculous things can't happen. But we understand that the birth of Jesus was miraculous. And not only was the birth of Jesus not ordinary, but Jesus himself, you know, it wasn't just any ordinary man. Jesus was not born as just any ordinary man. We've talked about this, you know, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus himself later said, I and my Father are one. Jesus was, he was a son of God. He was Emmanuel, God with us, God manifest in the flesh. So the birth of Jesus, it was miraculous. It was it was remarkable. So go ahead and turn back to Luke chapter 2. So we looked at the birth of Jesus now. But one, I think there's some other things too. And I think really, you know, we celebrate Christmas as the birth of Jesus. But I really think the celebration should be about more so. I think it really should be a celebration of Jesus and his life as a whole. But I want to look at some other things that we read here in Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 8. So we read the first few verses, and it says that, you know, uh, Mary and Joseph, they went to Bethlehem to be taxed, and uh, the time came that she would be delivered, and she brought forth Jesus, her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. So then we pick up in verse 8, the Bible reads, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I want to look at that verse right there, verse 10. This is one of our memory verses, actually, for this month. Verse 10, where, where the angels uh, come to these shepherds, these shepherds that were abiding in the same country, so, so in or around Bethlehem, the same area that Mary and Joseph were. And they were keeping watch over their flocks, and these angels came. These angels came to the shepherds. And in verse 10, one of the angels says unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And I want to look at that, the, the, this, the, these good tidings of great joy that these angels bring to these shepherds. I found this interesting, just looking at that phrase, good tidings. You look at that phrase in the Greek, good tidings, the Greek word for that is euangelizo, if I said that right. I don't know. Um, and it occurs 55 times in the King James Bible. 
And what I found interesting is that this, this word that, that's translated here as good tidings is almost always associated with in other, in other places in Scripture with the gospel. And we know gospel to mean good news, which I think is the same as good tidings. Tidings and news about the same thing. But I found this interesting, you know, that, that the same word that's often associated with the gospel and, and, and the King James Bible is translated here as good tidings. And I want to look this real fast. Just, you know, I, I like to use scripture. I think it's best you let scripture define itself and use scripture to define scripture. And so just this idea that, you know, we often have of, of gospel meaning good news and just looking at exactly where we get that from and exactly what the Bible has to say about that. So go ahead and turn over just a few pages to the right, actually, to Luke chapter 4. Here in Luke chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 18. Uh, but the context here is Jesus, he's in his hometown of Nazareth. And he's in the synagogue here at Nazareth. And he's actually uh, standing up in the synagogue reading. And we're going to read here in verse 18. And he quotes... And we're going to look at it in Isaiah too, but he quotes from Isaiah here in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now I want us to look at that verse, and then while we're looking there, I'm going to read from Isaiah 61.1, which is the verse which is the passage that Jesus is quoting here in Luke 4. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. I think what stuck out to me is a notable difference there is Jesus here, when reading in Luke, he says, He hath anointed me to preach the gospel, but in Isaiah 61 it says, He hath anointed me to preach good tidings. And I give to you, that's because good tidings in the gospel, they mean the same thing. What was translated, you know, because the New Testament is, is, is translated from Greek, and the Old Testament is translated primarily from Hebrew. So what was translated as good tidings in the Hebrew becomes the gospel in Greek. And that, that, that portion there in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, preach the gospel, that phrase is the same, euangelizo, that is translated as good tidings in Luke chapter 2. Go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter 10, verse 15, because this is one more place I just want to look. Just again, making sure that, you know, we allow Scripture to define itself and, and come to a correct and biblical definition uh, for the word gospel and what it means. Romans chapter 10, verse 15, and it says, How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So here in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, again, that same Greek word that's translated as good tidings in Luke chapter 2, that's translated as preach the gospel in Luke chapter 4, two times in this verse, that Greek word is used once for the phrase preach the gospel again, and again for the phrase bring glad tidings and again all this just to show that i give to you that to bring glad tidings or, or to bring good tidings is the same as preaching the gospel that they mean the same thing that gospel does mean good tidings and again we see this in the bible and this is just a few passages where the word is used again it's used 55 times in uh, the king james bible 
But just to, just to show us that, that the gospel, that when we say preach the gospel, it's the same as bringing glad tidings. And when we do, we preach the gospel is good news. It's bringing good news. So go ahead and turn back to Luke chapter 2. So these angels here in Luke chapter 2, they've come to the shepherds and they bring good tidings of great joy. They bring good news. And when they come to the shepherds, they say, this angel says, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And, he, and the angel says, which shall be to all people. So the angel says that this good news that they're bringing, that this is to be to all people. And I think this is, in a way, I think a fulfillment of way back in Genesis chapter 12, God's promise to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll go ahead and read it. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And here in verse 3 it says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So here in Genesis chapter 12, God promises Abraham that through him, through his seed, that all families of the earth would be blessed. And I believe here that Jesus was a fulfillment of that promise. Jesus was, he was Jew, Jewish, he was an Israelite, he came from Abraham, specifically, you know, he was, he's the line of the tribe of Judah, he came from the, the tribe of Judah. But Jesus, I believe, and, and I believe this is uh, here in part what the angels are talking about when they say that this is great, this is good news that's going to be, that is to all people. That that is a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that he said that through Abraham, through his seed, all families of the earth shall be blessed. That was fulfilled in Jesus and in Jesus' birth. So this is, I believe that this is good news to all people. And the angel said that. But what is this good news that the angels brought? You know, they said, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. But what is that? And I think here in Luke 2, they tell us here in verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The good news is the birth of the Savior, the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus. This is the good news that the shepherds brought, or that the angels brought to the shepherds, and I give to you that this is good news for us as well. Like I said, good news which shall be to all people. This is great news, this is good, good tidings of great joy that a Savior is born, Christ the Lord. So now I want to look at, and this is kind of where I want to finish here, is looking at the rest of this passage, Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. I'll go ahead and read it again. It says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the thing which was told them concerning this child, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and parted them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So these angels come, they tell the shepherds, they tell the shepherds of the birth of, of Christ, they tell them that, you know, the sign that, that they'll find is that you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And it says in verse 16 that it came to pass that the shepherds that with haste, so quickly, with haste, they came to find Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And just as the angels had said, that's how they found it. They found Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. But furthermore, we see that after they had seen it, it says that they made known broad the thing which was told them concerning the child. So after they had found Mary and Joseph and the child, they then went out and they made known abroad the thing. They told people, they went and proclaimed the birth of Jesus. But I give to you that 
you know, the, the, the angels had come and they had told the shepherds about the birth of Christ. And, and they went and they saw it. And just as the angels had said, that's how they found it. But I give to you that the shepherds did not have, you know, the full picture of Jesus' life the way we do. You know, they were probably under the impression that I think most Jews were at the time that the Messiah would come as, as an earthly ruler or a great military ruler that was going to save them from the Romans, bring them out from under their bondage. That was probably the, the, the belief of these shepherds, the impression that they had. So when they heard about the birth of the Christ, the birth of the Messiah, that's probably what's going on in their mind, that this is the birth of, of an earthly ruler who's going to save them. But they did not have the full picture. Because why did Jesus come? Why did he come the first time? I think, we, you know, I think we're told this here in looking at Luke chapter 19. This is, I'm going to read Luke chapter 19, looking specifically at verse 10. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. But this is here in Luke chapter 19. We read about the story of Zacchaeus. You know, we sing the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Zacchaeus uh, was a tax collector, and he came to see Jesus, but he couldn't see him because, you know, he was short. And so he climbed up into a tree to see Jesus. But here in Luke chapter 19, we read about the story of Zacchaeus, and this is, Starting in verse 8, just to get some context, the Bible says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, which is Jesus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. And here I want to look at this in verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So I give to you, that is why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came the first time. It was to save. It was to seek and to save that which was lost. Even if you look back when we looked at uh, the angel coming to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, the angel told Joseph that Jesus would come, that he was come to save his people from their sins. So I give to you the shepherds, they did not have a full picture of the gospel the way they do. The good news that they had was of the birth of Christ, but they didn't have, you know, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the four gospels we can read of Jesus's, his miraculous birth, that, that, that we're reading about here. We can read about his sinless life and that he was tempted at all points even as we are but never sinned and that his, his death and that he, he hung on a cross and he was appreciation for our sins and that he, God made him sin for us. We can read of his resurrection that he rose again the third day just as was prophesied, just as he himself prophesied. You know, even as Jonah was in, was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so also shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. We have a fuller picture. We have a better understanding of why Jesus came than these shepherds did. And so the shepherds, they had, you know, they had good news, they had good tidings, they had a gospel, and that was that Christ is born. But I ask you that we have an even better gospel. We have an even better picture that is a greater picture because we have, we know how it ends. We know the whole story that Jesus came not just to be born, but to die for, on the cross for our sins, that be a propitiation for our sins. So what does this mean for us? You know, the Bible says that death is wages. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Death is wages, it's punishment, it's payment due because of sin. Sin is so serious to holy and just and almighty God that it is worthy of the death sentence. And not only that, the Bible says that all of sin is, the Bible says that as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says all of sin can come short of the glory of God. So not only is death the wages of sin, but all have sinned, and so therefore all are worthy of death. And so I give to you that Jesus coming, and we're going to look at this too, I believe it is a manifestation of God's love for us, not love maybe in the sense that we sometimes think of it as a deep feeling of affection. I believe this is a greater love, a sacrificial love. God sent his son, his only begotten son, 
to be the propitiation for our sins because as we talked about Jesus, even though he was tempted as we are, you know, he lived in the flesh as a man. He never sinned. He lived a sinless life and therefore he was not deserving of death. We, you know, like we talked about, the wages of sin is death and Jesus never sinned. So therefore he was not deserving of death, but yet he still took upon himself you know, the form of a servant. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and became the propitiation for our, for our sin. The Bible says that, you know, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God, you know, Jesus took upon our sin. He took upon our punishment on the cross. The death that we are deserving of, Jesus took that upon himself. He was a substitutionary atonement. He took our place. Go ahead and turn over to First John chapter 4. And we're going to read this here. I believe why God sent his son, sent Jesus, God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel, why he sent Jesus to die for us. First John chapter 4, starting in verse 9, it says, And this was manifest the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son in, into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. I believe that Jesus, God sending Jesus, you know, the Bible says, you know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. I believe God sent Jesus and his love to be a propitiation for our sins. And again, like we read here in 1 John 4, not that we love God, we haven't. The Bible says that, you know, if you love God, you'll keep his commandments, and we have not kept his commandments. You know, the Bible says that the law of the Lord is written on our hearts, and we know to do good, and we don't, and we do evil, and we know not to do evil, and we do it anyway. We are all sinful, and we are all therefore worthy of death. And God, in his love, again, not that we loved us, but that he, or not that we loved God, but that God loved us, sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I say that Christ, you know, he didn't just come to be born. His birth was miraculous. We looked at that, the prophecy behind it, the fact that it was a virgin birth, the way it happened. That it was, you know, Jesus was God incarnate. He was God in the flesh, God with us. But, God, but I give to you that Jesus did not just come to be born, but he came to be a propitiation for our sins to die for us. And this is our good news. This is our gospel, I believe, our glad tidings that we have this better picture, we have this, this better news even than these shepherds had when the angels came to them. And, you know, just like the, shep- the shepherds, you know, the Bible says in Luke 2 that the shepherds, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. The shepherds went around and proclaimed the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus. And I think just as the shepherds did, we ought to make known the news that we have, the good news that we have, which is the gospel. Again, the, we have, again, the better picture than even the shepherds did, so we should make known the good news of the gospel, the, the gospel of Christ. We looked at Romans chapter 15 earlier, Romans chapter, or Romans chapter 10, 15, Romans uh, 10, 14 says how will, which is talking about, I believe, you know, uh, preaching the gospel and, and, and people needing to hear. It says in Romans 10, 14, it says, how then shall they call on him of, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? If we expect people, you know, to come to salvation, to come to a belief in Jesus Christ, if we expect that of other people, how can they hear without a preacher? You have to preach it. You have to tell them. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if they don't hear the word of God, then how are they supposed to believe? 
We need to go. We need to tell people about Jesus, proclaim the gospel to preach it, that people may hear, that people may hear and believe. And I believe, you know, for us as Christians that we should be willing and ready always to share the good news, to share the gospel. I think of, you know, Isaiah, I believe Isaiah chapter 6, you know, the Lord was speaking to Isaiah and he said, you know, who, whom will I send? And, G, and Isaiah, you know, speaking to the Lord said, here am I, send me. I believe we ought to have that attitude when preaching the gospel to be willing, ready, and able to share the good news. And so at, during this Christmas time as Christians, I think this should be a great time, again, of rejoicing, of celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the hope that we have in Him because of it, and, and uh, to rejoice in the good news of Jesus and, and, and the gospel. But I think also this is a great opportunity. It should be a great time of evangelism to spread the good news. I mean, this is an opportunity. A lot of people celebrate Christmas. Even, again, we talked about even a lot of non-Christians. I mean, it's become, in a lot of ways, you know, a holiday, uh, just as much a secular holiday as a Christian holiday. So this could be a great time of evangelism to share people the good news, the, the true meaning of Christmas, why we celebrate it. And again, I give to you that there really is no celebration of Christmas. There really is no Christmas apart from, from Jesus. I mean, even again, the word itself, Christmas, requires Christ. There is no Christmas without Christ. And I give to you that anyone who does, who celebrates Christmas without Christ, is celebrating a different holiday. They can call it whatever they want, but it's not Christmas. And so, I think, you know, at, again, at this time, as Christians, as believers, that we should, I believe, take this time just to make sure that we're focusing on the right things at Christmas, that this celebration is about Jesus. I believe Jesus should be the focal point of our celebration of Christmas. And, uh, and anymore, it's harder and harder in a world that's increasingly anti-God and increasingly anti-church. I believe it's harder and harder not to get entangled with the affairs of this world and affairs of this life. You know, it's really easy to get caught up in all this stuff when you hear it all the time. You know, you turn on the radio and you hear Christmas music. And again, a lot of it, if any of it, none of it most of the time has to do with the Bible or with Jesus. But just to understand that the, that the purpose of Christmas is Jesus, that it is a celebration of Christ. So in conclusion, you know, perhaps there are some in here, perhaps all right, and for sure there are some in the world, but perhaps there are some in here that don't have that hope yet, that aren't, don't have that belief in Christ, that they aren't celebrating Christmas for that reason. Maybe some of you have heard the good news and the Holy Spirit's, you know, been convicting you and you feel like you should, but you're pushing it away, and I, I implore you, don't. Don't push away the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't know how long we have left in this life. We, we're not guaranteed the next hour, the next day, the next week. The Bible says, you know, that God is not willing, part of the reason I believe that God has not yet returned, that Jesus has not yet returned for the second time, is that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want to see any end up in hell. God is very, he's, the Bible says he's long-suffering, he's patient. And so, you know, take the, redeem the time you have, take the time you have now to accept Christ, because again, we're not guaranteed any, any time in our life. We don't know how long our life is, we don't know how short it is. And, you know, God is not willing that any should perish. And I believe as Christians, we should have that same attitude, too, that we don't want to see any go to hell to suffer that, that, that punishment. We want to share the good news. We want, people to have, we want all people to have the hope that we have, to have the salvation that we have, the faith that we have. You know, maybe there are some in here that you have heard the good news and you feel the conviction and you're ready and you want to, you know, choose Christ. You want, you want to have that hope that we enjoy as Christians. 
And you can cry out to God. You know, Jesus tells a parable of the public, and the Bible says that he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto a heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You can cry out to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can confess, believe, cry out to God. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm, in, and therefore I am, I am in danger of the judgment. I am condemned to hell. I know that I have sinned, but Lord, be merciful to me. Confess with thy mouth. Believe that God hath raised him from the dead. Believe on Jesus Christ for salvation. You can do that today. Be no better day. I mean, today's Christmas Eve, tomorrow's Christmas. No better time than to accept Christ today, to, to, to put your faith in Christ today. And you can go on celebrating Christmas for, you know, for a new reason, for a better reason, to have real purpose in celebrating Christmas and the birth of Christ. So I encourage you, if that's you this morning, if you don't yet have that hope, if you don't yet have that faith in Christ, to choose Christ, to choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You could, you know, you, again, you don't know. You could die tomorrow, and you'd be standing before God, and, and the Bible says that, you know, without Christ, our, fifty, fil, our, ra, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So there's nothing we can do in this life. We're all sinners, and therefore, we're deserving of death. We're deserving of the punishment of hell. But Christ took that upon himself, and you can believe on him and have that hope, have that salvation, and look forward to his glorious appearing, just as we do. So Merry Christmas, and, you know, again, just take this time, I believe, for me too, to examine yourself to make sure that you're celebrating Christmas for, for the purpose of celebrating Christ and Jesus and what he did for us and his birth, and his, I think even more so his death, burial, and resurrection, you know, the hope that we have in Christ. Looking forward to his glorious appearing. Let's close in prayer. Lord, Father God, again, I thank you for this morning and, again, this opportunity we have to gather, to worship together. I know there are many in this world that don't have that, that, that luxury, that opportunity that we do. I just pray that you help us to make the most of our opportunities. I pray that what I would have said would have been honoring to you, that we would have learned something from your word this morning. And, Lord, I just pray that you would bless the rest of time, uh, bless this season, and all things that will be done. In Jesus' sweet name, amen. You are dismissed.